Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello and welcome to the podcast with myself, Galen Stops from 360T. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Alejandro Padilla, an executive director at Bonorte in Mexico, where he's responsible for economic research and financial market strategy. Alejandro, thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, Galen. Uh, thank you for the invitation. Delighted to be here. The very first question that I wanted to put to you, and I think it's quite an important one right now, is how should we be thinking about emerging market currencies right now within the context of the pandemic and everything that's going on? Well, Galen, in order to answer this question, we have to acknowledge that we are currently facing one of the worst global recessions since 1929, steered by an uncertain sanitary crisis. As of today, there are more doubts than answers about the shape of the recovery or even to the transition towards a new reality or a new normal or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and it is not surprising that since the WHO declared the COVID-19 virus as pandemic in March, risk aversion and volatility were the common denominators in almost every financial market. Yeah. And in this regard, the emerging markets' currencies were severely affected by the risk of mode. However, we have to observe, uh, a, or we have to acknowledge that we observed recently a, a relief rally, especially in the second quarter, with investors that are discriminating between assets, especially taking into account the policy response from central banks and governments, in addition to other idiosyncratic factors. And in this regard, in uh, year-to-date terms, the most affected currencies in the EM spectrum are the Brazilian real, the South African rand, and the Mexican peso. This can be explained by the concerns among investors about uh, how the contagion curves have been developing or the degree of the policy response. But also we have to bear in mind that liquidity is another key component, especially yeah. in moments of high volatility like these ones. Uh, deeper FX markets may allow uh, investors to choose the most traded currencies for hedging purposes. And for example, in this regard, the Mexican peso with a daily turnover of nearly $114 billion mm. is the second most traded EM currency. And that has also been uh, one of the conditions to explain how it has been affected recently. And so do you see a scenario where it's going to be very challenging for investors and traders to participate in emerging market currency trading in the sort of second half of the year? Do you think it's going to be challenged still? It will be challenged because it will depend on, on several things. Uh, these challenges will be associated with the pandemic and growth dynamics, how resilient are the economies and fiscal accounts to this complex backdrop, even uh, if the, there is uh, adequate policy response. And, and obviously, we will have some idiosyncratic or country-specific factors. But uh, I think it's going to be challenging, especially in the very short term. I think that, that uh, uh, these uh, concerns about uh, a possible second wave or, or another uh, difficult situation in terms of coronavirus could steer again some risk aversion. And in this regard, in the very short term, we, we might expect 
uh, another peak in volatility. And then what we have to think is moving forward, what's going to happen with, with the, basically every currency against the dollar? Because now we have unprecedented fiscal and monetary stimuli in the U.S. Yeah. That has helped a lot, uh, basically every, every market. And obviously the U.S. markets have been the, the, the ones that have reflected uh, this, this uh, stimuli. But we have to think that uh, debt levels in the U.S. will will be extremely high, and and we have to think about how they will manage this debt, and possibly with a mid to long term horizon or a or a long term view, uh, this might suggest some pressures uh, in the U.S. currency. But at least in the in the very short term, I think that volatility will will remain, and, and risk aversion will 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 be again here. We've started there talking off about emerging currencies generally. Let's get more specific for the region. What are the challenges for LATAM currencies that you see going forward? Well, uh, just to mention some of them, first, um, different dynamics in terms of contagion curves in comparison mm-hmm. with European or, or Asian countries. You, you just have to see how the COVID-19 curve performs in Brazil or in Chile. And, and if you compare it with other countries in Europe or in Asia, it's completely different. This could limit uh, the plans to reopen the economic activity, suggesting that uh, the shape of the recovery could be different. And uh, when I say different, I'm talking about more, more gradual. Yeah. And this explains at least partially uh, the underperformance of Latin equities or Latin currencies vis-a-vis advanced economies or other kind of assets. I think the second challenge uh, is that, uh, well, either on a GDP basis or, a, or in a fiscal account perspective, mm-hmm. The dependence of Latin American countries to exporting commodities will be crucial. Commodities such as oil, copper, soybean, just to enlist some of them, yeah. have been strongly affected by the adverse economic effect of coronavirus worldwide. And I think that's one key thing that we have to, to bear in mind when, when dealing with, with Latin American uh, currencies. The third one uh, is the limited leeway or room of uh, maneuver coming from fiscal and monetary policies, suggesting that the stimuli will, be, will remain lower with respect to advanced economies or even other EM. And maybe a fourth one uh, is that uh, given the uncertainty about uh, this likelihood of a second wave of contagion that I just talked about previously mm-hmm. in the world, we could see another spike in volatility and risk aversion in the second half. And, and I think that in that regard, Latin, Latin American currencies will remain effective. Uh, so here's a question for you. To what extent do you think that the currencies of these countries in Latin America will be driven by sort of more traditional economic fundamentals? And to what extent do you think they'll just be driven by pure news, the latest virus numbers, etc.? Uh, that's a very good question, and I, I think that uh, in terms of, of fundamentals, uh, these currencies already pricing a lot of, of what's happening in, in every specific country, and most likely the performance of these currencies going forward will be determined by by 
news about how coronavirus is performing. Or for example, one, one topic that we haven't talked about is uh, the electoral process in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, on November the 3rd, we have elections in the U.S. Uh, I think that a geopolitical noise coming from North America will start having some effect on, on these currencies, especially the Mexican peso. Yeah. So this uh, news, uh, I think, will, will be more relevant than the fundamental part because I think that the fundamental part has already been pricing, maybe not completely, but at least uh, in, in a big proportion. You mentioned the peso there. Let's get even more specific then. You know, we've talked EM, then LATAM. What is your outlook for the Mexican peso for, let's say, the rest of the year? Well, first of all, uh, the fair value of the Mexican currency, according to our uh, real exchange rate models, mm -hmm. is hovering around 21 to 22 pesos uh, per dollar. So consequently, we are forecasting uh, a level of 22 by the end of this year. Okay. However, we acknowledge that risk premium and volatility could increase in the second half of the year. Uh, and uh, going back to, to what I said previously about the U.S. election, we have noticed that in the, at least in the last four presidential elections in the U.S., market participants uh, hedge against uh, the Mexican peso between 40 to 45 days before the event. So we are talking about uh, September, October, roughly speaking. Mm -hmm. And this, this hedging strategy is between three and four standard deviations. So just to put it into very specific terms, uh, this could uh, pressure the Mexican peso to levels similar to the ones that we observed in March, around about 25 pesos per dollar. And this is mainly explained by, by this geopolitical risk coming from the U.S. election. Obviously, right now is it is too soon to 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 call uh, to to uh, forecast a winner of the election. If you see the polls or even the uh, the the bets or, or the odds embedded in the bets, we see Biden slightly above uh, President Trump. However, I think that uh, Trump will remain very. Um, well, very tough in terms of, of, of what he talks about uh, trade, about uh, migration. So all these variables, uh, this radical rhetoric that uh, President Trump uh, might opt uh, during the electoral process, I think that will be uh, strongly correlated with the performance of the Mexican peso. That's why we expect uh, some choppy waters in the third quarter of, of, of this year. But as I mentioned before, it, with the peso converging to 22, which is the, the fair value that I just mentioned before. Then one thing I wanted to ask you was, you alluded to the, the monetary and fiscal stimulus we've seen, and we haven't just seen it in the US. I mean, this has been worldwide. What impact do you think all this stimulus is going to have on EM currencies going forward? I think that we have to analyze it in a two-stage way. Uh, for example, in the, in, in the first stage, in the, in the very short term, I think that uh, additional stimulus, especially uh, monetary stimulus, will help um, for, for um, the appetite for risk. And in this regard, I think that 
unprecedented stimulus, even from the Federal Reserve or from the fiscal part in the U.S., will aid the market. And it's what we have been observing since April. However, in, the, in a second stage, I think that uh, investors will start discriminate, discriminating between those countries that uh, have implemented a strong stimulus in comparison with those that haven't done it or, or, or have uh, implemented a lower stimulus. Why? Because this will be strongly correlated with the shape of the recovery. And in this regard, I think that there will be one moment in which this risk on mode that we have been observing in, in, in the last couple of months could turn into a risk aversion, given uh, the poor economic performance that we might see in, in some of these emerging markets. So, so that, that's a way to analyze it. First, it's like a, an overall a positive view from market participants because unprecedented stimulus will help basically every asset. However, in the second stage, there will be one a differentiation between, between which countries are, are implementing strong stimulus and which ones are not. Mm-hmm. And most likely, this will uh, also result in a different shape of the recovery. Okay. And then, Alejandro, the last thing I wanted to ask you was... For you personally, as someone who is tasked with conducting currency analysis and providing insights, you know, ideally actionable insights, how difficult for you is it right now that there's so many unknowns? I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with the virus in terms of a second wave, in terms of getting through this first wave. We don't know, as you said, what's going to happen with the US election. We don't know what the knock-on effects of the virus are going to be uh, economically, on a personal level. How, how challenging does that make it for you to try and make currency predictions and do currency analysis right now? Well, it has been quite challenging. And, and uh, I think that the, the, the first challenge that we face when, when conducting this type of analysis is the lack of visibility. Or to put it in a different way, uh, the difficultness to forecast with a rapid changing environment and the uncertainty about the pandemic and several other variables. So, so uh, this lack of visibility has turned our job uh, more difficult. Yeah. The second one is that um, uh, we have to deal with a with a difficult landscape in terms of volatility and liquidity. Just to put it into perspective, did you see, for example, BDASK spreads or the daily trading range? For example, in March, they soared to uh, levels that we, uh, were, we didn't see even during the 2008-2009 crisis. So this also make it more difficult to, 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 to forecast and also to trade these, these type of assets. Maybe a third challenge is more on, an, on the operational side because stay-at-home policies have direct and indirect effects in the economy, but also in market dynamics. It, it makes more difficult to, to, to trade. It makes more difficult to, to understand what's happening. So there are several challenges, and, and, and you said it before. I mean, we are 
most likely heading towards a new reality or a new normal. We don't know if this will change, if this will be a change in paradigm in terms of consumer's behavior, in terms of how firms work, and most likely also how markets work. So I think from the operational side, there's also a big challenge. So I, I think it's a, a very difficult job that you have right now, Alejandro, but uh, I, am, I am, for one, I'm very confident that you're up to the task. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Galen. And, and thank you. So I, much- I hope I don't disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm sure that our listeners will find that just as interesting and insightful as I did. Thanks again. Hey, Galen, thank you for in- inviting me to this podcast. It was a real honor. Keep well. You too. Thank you for listening to the 360T podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings.